travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. Welcome to Talk Travel Asia. Today's subject is one that I personally have spent much of my life trying to figure out, and I know that uh, my co-host Trevor has as well, and it's all about how to plan high-value Asian vacations. It's not easy. I'm Scott Coates. I'm here in Kuala Lumpur, and joining me as always is... Hi, Scott. This is Trevor Ranges. I am here in Bangkok, and today I'm recording out of a new creative co-working office space called The Hive. The Hive. It sounds like you should be busy as a bee. Yeah, and, and it's a buzzing, bustling uh, little workspace. Actually, it's brand new, and today there's a little bit of construction going on. So if you hear any uh, ambient hammering, uh, you'll know what it is. Yeah, what I love about the circumstance you're in is this could actually be uh, a future episode is kind of expect the unexpected in Southeast Asia because I know when you, you checked it out with them, they knew what you were doing and they made no mention of construction, right? Well, you know, I mean, it kind of fits into what we're going to be talking about today, about uh, planning things. And, and here in Asia, uh, exactly what you plan doesn't necessarily always uh, happen. Yeah, yeah, that's it exactly. And that uh, when Western guests especially come over to Southeast Asia, of course they know it's a developing part of the world, but I think they still expect things to kind of just operate like clockwork, like home. And, and one of the big mistakes people can make is around time and transport and accommodation and, and, and that there could be a little bump in the road or a little hiccup with each of these things. I mean, even when you're in your home country, you can go somewhere else and the room's not ready or they forgot the reservation, let alone you're in the developing world where everything's new and strange. And, and in many respects, instead of being agitated by those things, it should be part of the experience. Yeah, that's totally true. And I think also that, you know, people don't necessarily vacation for a living, but uh, you and I actually do to some degree, because you, <laughs> you ran the Smiling Albino, kind of a luxury travel company, and, and my, yeah. my research uh, doing travel guidebooks, uh, you and I are constantly planning and, and going out in the field and, and going on trips. So we both have a lot of experience, both planning and understanding how good or bad your plans can work out. Yeah, and there's no right or wrong method. And I know that you and I, well, we travel pretty well together. We also have pretty different styles. Myself, I generally like to know where my hotel's going to be, that it's booked. I thrive on knowing the airline tickets dialed in and stuff. And I know you're quite a bit different. Yeah, I mean, I like to do pretty extensive research before I go to a place. So I know as much about how many different attractions are in the immediate area, what are lots of different hotel accommodation options. But I generally just like to have my hotel booked for the first two days. And then once I'm on the ground, I'll make my plans there. Yeah, so I don't think there's really a right or wrong. There's certainly advantages and disadvantages to both of those things. My kind of add to your method would be that it's worth considering things booked during peak periods. So if you're going to go Christmas, New Year's, Chinese New Year's, you know, Tet and Vietnam, it's probably a good idea to have your hotel booked. 
Yeah, that's actually a really good idea because uh, obviously people know like New Year's Eve or Christmas, but there's lots of different regional, local festivals and holiday weekends. And uh, you, you might realize that, hey, everything's booked up because it's a local holiday that you were unaware of. So I think that kind of planning, doing a little bit of research about what's going on in the, the places you're planning to visit uh, will help you. Yeah, I definitely try in my later years here, try to be a bit more Trevor style when I travel, but I've, I've tried to keep those little things in mind. So before we bring in our guest, why don't we both touch on a couple kind of classic mistakes that we see? What do you see as sort of a classic travel mistake? Yeah, well, one of the things we talked about earlier was people trying to plan too much. And uh, I think one of the problems with that is just that people don't understand how logistically difficult some of their plans may actually turn out to be. People don't mm. realize how far apart things may be. They don't consider the traffic, what it might be in that, that local destination, or even just, you know, like, taking a short flight from Bangkok to Koh Samui, which is only maybe about an hour flight, but you know the transfer of getting to the airport, checking in, flying to, to the island, trying to figure out where you get a taxi from there, getting to your hotel room is going to take you half a day. Yeah, I my point is just pretty much the same as yours, is that when we planned people's vacations professionally with my, my former company, people, I mean, it is a small region, compared to, say, the U.S., but they think, oh, I'm going to go to northern Vietnam, and then I'm going to go to southern Vietnam and Cambodia, and I'm going to go to Chiang Mai and Bangkok, and you're like, man, that's a minimum half a day each time you make that jump. So, yeah, people really don't put into consideration, add up all the steps, and more importantly, I think add up how tired it makes you feel, right? Like, it's super hot, it's sweaty, maybe you're on a tuk-tuk somewhere rather than an air-conditioned cab, but that can all be a very exhausting process that renders you kind of down for the whole day. Yeah, I recently had some friends come to visit Bangkok and they, they had really planned their trip out meticulously, but it included like arriving at Bangkok at 6 a.m., being at a floating market by 8 a.m., being at the being at the Grand Palace by noon. And, and I don't I don't think they realize that a they're going to have jet lag, so they're going to be tired. To, to try and take on something this this complicated, but but that is quite far to get out to the floating market and then come all the way back to town and then go to the Grand Palace. That's a really exhausting, challenging day. Yeah, I mean, you have to kind of remember that you're on vacation, right? And part of vacation is having fun, not absolutely running yourself into the ground. Our guest today is Chris Rothorn. He's originally from America. He is a longtime Lonely Planet author of the Kyoto Guidebook, amongst others. He's had a bespoke tour company there for some time, and he's kind of the go-to guy if you want really customized insider trips in the area. He also offers day trips in Hong Kong and Bangkok, and he's going to tell us a bit today about how to plan a high-value Asian vacation. Thanks so much for joining us today, Chris. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, it's my pleasure to be on uh, your show today. Um, thanks for the great intro. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and uh, basically I've been writing for Lonely Planet since uh, 1996. And about uh, seven years ago, I decided to open my own travel company because a lot of people are asking me, um, could you plan a special trip for me in Japan? And so my tour company sort of was a natural outgrowth of my uh, writing work. Right, right, right. Okay. So where are you right now? Well, right now I'm in Bangkok. Okay. Um, and so I'm sort of bi-coastal, as it were. Um, <laughs> I spend a, a lot of time in, in Japan, and yeah. I spend a lot of time in Bangkok. My wife is from um, 
uh, Japan, and my kids are both proudly uh, multicultural. Um, right. Uh, so we spend the majority of time here in Bangkok, but I'm in Japan uh, three, four, five times a year on work. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, that's fascinating. What we, Trevor and I really love about this podcast is just how technology's gotten to this point that we can be sitting in very different areas having these conversations. So before we get to kind of tips and maybe travel philosophy, Chris, like I know Japan's very different from Thailand and, and whatnot, but what do you, you're an American guy who's who's basically set up shop on this side of the world. Right. What do you really love about life in Asia? That's a great question, Scott. Um, you know what? It's a very simple answer, too. Um, even the most ordinary mundane day, you know, when you wake up and you go get coffee and buy a newspaper or whatever, um, you look around and it's a different place. It's, it's not the place you grew up in for 20 years. You know, it's, you know, even the most minor things seem a little bit odd, a little bit different, a little bit exciting. So, you know, even the most boring day is a little bit more exciting than it would be back home. Right, right. Yeah, I I hear you. You know, on our first episode, we talked about how Trevor and I ended up here and what inspired us. And my thing was, I met this eccentric British guy that thought about it, why he was there. And he goes, you know what, every day I leave my house, I never know what I'm going to see next. And it sort of resonated with me. So after years of writing Lonely Planet and running a tour company, what do you think? I mean, we're going to touch on quite a few mistakes, but what do you see as kind of the the key mistake or error that people make when they're trying to plan their trip? Well, that that's an excellent question again. Um, the biggest mistake and the mistake we see all the time is people trying to do too much. Mm. You know, uh, checklist tourism. I mean, we get we get wish lists from people. They've got like a week in country, maybe 10 days in country. And it would take them a month to do what they would, you know, <laughs> what, what they're planning to do. And still they'd be rushed and they'd go home feeling absolutely exhausted. So a big part of our role is to just sort of uh, talk them down a little bit and say, look, uh, less is more. Um, please emphasize quality over quantity. Um, and, and, you know, we get two types of clients. Some, some will immediately see the logic um, of our argument and others will say, mm-hmm. no, but we've, we've, we've made this list. We've, all our friends told us we have to see this, we have to see that. We've read all the guidebooks and we just insist on seeing all these things. And in that case, we simply have to make it as painless as possible for them and as, you know, try to make it work as well as it can, uh, given their um, preferences. Right. You know, what you're saying is, is I've had the exact same experience when I was, uh, you know, a co-founder of a, of a travel company in Thailand is it kind of mystified me to a certain degree because people are spending good money to have trips planned through someone like you. And just like they would go to a lawyer or a doctor or an interior decorator, I always kind of wondered why they're willing to spend all that time and money with me, but not really kind of heed the professional advice to a right. certain degree. Right, right. It's a very, very good question. I, some, you know, obviously, uh, being in the position that we are in, we can't say, "Well, why are you paying me? Why are you asking my advice? Why are you paying me decent money um, to hear my advice on this?" If you're going to basically ignore everything I tell you, um, 
That said, I mean, we have such a great um, self-selected group of clients that 90, 95% of our clients really do value our um, input and they base their trips, you know, very closely on what we recommend to them. And um, for the most part, they're delighted with uh, the results. You know, Chris, uh, something you said earlier really, you know, touched touched home with me. Before you started your tour business uh, as as a guidebook writer, lots of people like to ask you, your friends, like, "Oh, what should I do when when they go to visit a certain place?" Because myself, as a, as a travel guidebook writer, my friends are constantly asking me, "Hey, we're coming to Thailand. What should we do? How should we do it?" So, so there obviously seems to be a need for people to want to get assistance planning their trips because I think they recognize that they don't really know what they're getting into. Well, that's a very good point. And actually, I think uh, more and more um, people like us, we have a role to play because, as we well know, in the information age, the the Internet age, um, it's not a question of having um, uh, not enough information. It's having information overload. And many people are busy. They're lawyers, whatever. And they just don't have the time to sift through it all and to, to determine what is good information versus what is bad information. And so um, our role is simply to be human filters, human search engines, as mm. it were. We have the experience. We have years of looking at, at, at these countries and traveling around these countries. So we can judge what's good information and what's bad information. So, you know, I, I'm not... Um, I'm not um, saying that crowdsourced uh, information, which is available online, is necessarily bad because it's not. Um, there's a lot of good stuff out there. But having someone who's been there, you know, in person and who's really done the hard yards, who's backpacked for 20 years or whatever, uh, can really add value to uh, a trip planning experience. Well, I think that's also something that's important too. You said backpacking, but a little bit later, we're also going to talk about families. I think for individual travelers, all of whom have different styles, it's hard for them to find oh, what would be right for me. Yes, indeed. And, and th that's one thing I wanted to um, emphasize before we uh, started talking is that there is no one particular trip. You know, there is the honeymoon trip. There's the solo trip. There's the backpacking trip. There's the flashpacking trip. There's the trip with kids. Um, you know, there are so many different types of trips and really, I mean, it, it's, it's a cliche, but when planning a trip, the number one in, uh, injunction has to be know thyself, you know, <laughs> know what you're comfortable with mm -hmm. and, um, really plan accordingly. And, and one thing I would recommend, I mean, these days I see a lot of people who are just over planning. They, they, there's so much information available online, you know. I mean, you can YouTube a, a site, you know, a, a thing you want to see. You can check TripAdvisor. You can, you can look at pictures online. You can Instagram, whatever, social media, whatever it is. Basically, you can have a virtual reality experience of the place you're going to go visit. So at a certain point, I wonder, why visit? Why go there? You've already been there, essentially, you know? Um, I mean, I remember, I don't want to date <laughs> myself, but I mean, I remember yeah. coming to Bangkok in 94, and, you know, we used to rush into the back of these uh, phone, you know, these 
travel agencies slash phone companies and you know you have to go into a little phone booth and pay some money and call your folks back home and say hey guess what I'm in Bangkok you know there was no or or, or, or write um, postcards you know or send things post restaurant <laughs> or whatever it was you know I mean it, it's a it was a completely different ball game and and that allowed for a lot more spontaneity you know and I think a lot of people, what they do today is they overplan, you know, so there are no surprises. You know, they, 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 they get there and they say, yeah, this looks just like what the YouTube uh, video looked like, you know? Yeah. Or, or conversely, perhaps it, it doesn't look <laughs> like what they think it was going to yeah. be like. You know, when I go to hotels and I take photos of it, I always tend to, to take photos of the best perfect angle, right. you know, but you book this hotel online because it looks beautiful on the Internet and then you show up and it, it's right next to, you know, a crazy loud disco that, that that's going to keep you up all night. You sure, know? sure, sure. Which is why it, it's very, very important. It's a, it's a good point you touch on there because it's very important to, to choose your online sources of information very wisely because anyone can write a blog, you know, anyone can post on a forum, you know, and, and you really have to find someone whose taste agrees with your taste, you know, someone who's got some bona fides, someone who happens to know an area particularly well and whose taste just happened to jive with your taste, you know. Um, so do, do that bit of research and make sure that, um, whoever, you know, you're reading is someone who probably has about the same taste as you do. That's a, that's a really good tip, Chris. And, you know, a few minutes ago, you said something that I saw so often in travelers and them not being really honest with themselves. And I think people often struggle with what they really want to get out of a trip and what their husband does. And then a big overriding thing is what their friends did. And they feel that they should do what their friends did. But based on those kind of overriding things and limited time, are there some things that you think that people should absolutely dial in and plan ahead of their trip? Oh, that's a good question again. Um, basically, I mean, I'm a bit older than I used to be, obviously. Um, and and <laughs> Thanks so much. You know, but I'm the oldest I've ever been. But, hey, come um, on, you look great. Um, but you know, I've got two kids now, and I can't travel the way I used to mm -hmm. when I was 26. Um, and so, one thing for sure is, I, I would get uh, a hotel booked for your first night in town. You know, and but I would also I would add some room for spontaneity mm. in your trip. Like, I mean, it, it you don't. There, there can be several types of trips within one trip, you know. You can have a, quite a, a thoroughly planned aspect of your trip, but at the same time you can have hmm. a trip which is rather spontaneous, you know. You might even say, okay, we're just going to ditch the guidebook for, for, for this week, you know, or we're not going to look at any sources of information or we're going to go off Huh. We're going to go to places that are specifically not in the guidebook. So mix it up a little bit. Allow um, room for spontaneity because I think one of the, one of the great um, losses that we get from all this excessive information, you know, available is we lose spontaneity. We lose those, you know, serendipitous, you know, happy uh, just meetings. Some of them are awful. You know, uh, <laughs> so, some are terrible. They, of course, make good stories in retrospect. 
but um, you know, allow for spontaneity and 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 you know, YouTubing the hell out of it. You know, putting it on forums and and checking the social media and reading all the guidebooks and all that. Um, it really can take away from um, the spontaneous aspect of travel. So you know, you know, ha- have a week of traveling planned by the book. But then another week, just put the book in your backpack and just say, look, we're just going to get a bus, get on a bus to somewhere and see what happens. I totally agree with you, Chris, because, uh, again, while doing research for, for travel guidebooks, a lot of my days are just spent exploring. And I think you, you experience the local culture a lot better when you get off the beaten track and just start going down back alleys or renting a bicycle or a, mount, uh, a motorbike and, and going uh, off you know, off the main tr- road into a local village and checking out some smaller temple that isn't necessarily in the guidebook, but tends to be like more authentic and give you like a, a better sure, experience. Sure, sure, indeed. Um, I mean, I, I was in uh, Nepal recently, and um, Nepal is one of the few places where, um, it, it, on certain of, certain of the treks, there really isn't much information available out there. You know, there aren't, um, you know, the guidebooks aren't very accurate. Um, the, you know, there's not too much YouTube information. You know, there's not too much social media, TripAdvisor stuff out there. And, and my buddy and I had a fantastic time. We just, at the end of the day, when we were tired, we just plunked down in a tea house and, you know, that's where we were. There was no planning involved, and we had a fantastic cool. time. So, yeah. So, so just uh, allow, allow for that. You know, my I guess my my overriding point here would be, um, you know, allow for spontaneity. Don't overplan. Don't have the experience before yeah, the experience. Yeah. You know, one thing I'm curious about, uh, Chris, is I, I know you have a rich history in many areas, but you mentioned. Um, Nepal, and you and I originally met in Thailand. I'm curious, how in your mind does trip planning differ in a country, say, like Japan versus planning a trip somewhere like Thailand? Uh, That's a very good question. Well, Japan is got to be the easiest place on earth to Hmm. to plan traveling. I mean, the the timetables are accurate to the second, you know. Um, Everything works. It's like a Swiss watch. You know, um, and some people get freaked out by the language barrier and whatnot. But I mean, if, if you're a control freak and if you want things planned to the nth degree, you will do no mm. better than Japan. Um, whereas Thailand, you have to allow for a certain amount of unpredictability. You have to be able to go with the flow a little bit. I mean. My sister was just here from um, from the states, and she was a bit freaked out um, by Thailand. But I kept having to tell her this. I said, "Look, oftentimes things seem a bit chaotic here, um, but it always seems to work out in the end. Somebody knows what's going on. Somebody's going to take care of you. <laughs> Very rarely will you yeah. get ripped off." Just just have faith. Just chill out. Don't get stressed out. You know, uh, things things will work out. Somebody will make sure you get out of that cafe and onto that bus when the bus is leaving. So so don't freak out about it too much. Yeah. 
Wow, that's that's a great tip. Knowing that you're you're used to be a free and fancy single guy, what um, are some of the challenges you find in traveling with a family and with your kids? <laughs> that's a long, long uh, list. Uh, <laughs> well, and how maybe one thing that it, it affects you with planning. How has it kind of changed your planning with travel? Well, you know, my my kids are still quite young, uh, two and a half and four and a half years old. So. Um, Basically, in terms of flying, it's made it horrible. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's it's absolutely no fun flying with with young children, although they behave yeah. fairly well. Um, but you, you just can't travel that spontaneously. I mean, I have heard of people taking, I think, a three year old kid around the Annapurna Sanctuary uh, yeah. uh, circuit trek. Which, which is a pretty serious uh, trek. It goes over the Turing Law Pass, which is pretty high. I forget how high it is. But, um, um, but you just, you, you, know, you, you, you know, if you're a bit of a nervous Nelly, you, you, have to, um, you, you have to sort of plan um, to be somewhere near reasonable medical care if that becomes necessary. Yeah. Um, you know, that said, we stayed in Koh Phayam in, in, in Thailand, and that was a pretty bare, basic, you know, bare bones island. And uh, we didn't freak out about it that much. I mean, there were cobras. We, we saw a, um, a scorpion. Oh, wow. And we, we really weren't that freaked out about it. Um, so it very much depends on the person. I think uh, your typical American yuppie might be utterly freaked out by it um but but then you'll meet you know more casual travelers say from who who knows where europe australia new zealand canada perhaps who are a bit more chilled out and just accept that you know there's a certain amount of risk in life um but i I think to 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 get to your you know to answer your question Mm -hmm. You simply have to plan a little bit more. I mean, you really don't want to rock up at a guest house like without a reservation, you know, late at night in a, in a town, getting off a bus and looking for, you know, a cheap Chinese hotel. Um, you, you, you really want to plan things a little bit more. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, what I was going to say earlier, because uh, I actually recently traveled to Koh Phayam with my parents who are in their late 60s, early 70s. And one of the reasons that that kind of works, like with your family or with my parents, is because Thailand is, Thai people are very welcoming and helpful. And and I think if you're traveling with children, let's say in Thailand, Thai people love children. I think most of the the, the local cultures here will really be sensitive to the fact that you have kids and you might have some new challenges and you might not be prepared for it. But I think the local people will do a lot to try and help you, you know, get by. They certainly will. And the only thing that it takes, that takes a bit of getting used to is that the the waiter or waitress will just abscond with your child <laughs> and uh you know take them off your hands for a while um which takes a bit of getting used to but you know they never mean ill they never kidnap the child so um you know you just have to learn to uh enjoy that and they're they're giving you some free time so um you know just learn how to uh enjoy things the Thai way. Well, you've 
confirmed things that Trevor and I were talking about before uh, we brought you and Chris and it shows that we're not completely full of it is that I think all three of us kind of agree the biggest thing is is maybe get that first night hotel dialed in have a rough idea but don't plan too much like that's the whole point of travel is is having fun and discovering new things along the way indeed very much so so you know plan but don't plan too much and plan wisely I would say Okay. Well, Chris, we really appreciate you sharing your time. I know you're a busy guy with three companies in different countries and a couple kids that are probably wanting you to take them to the park now. So thanks so much, Chris Rothorn, for joining us. It's been a real pleasure. Well, thank you, Scott and Trevor, for having me. Uh, And I'd be happy to talk to you again. And uh, it's been a pleasure for me, too. Yeah, and we'll put uh, your website and blog and so forth in our show notes so everybody um, can follow you and learn more about what you do. Okay, thanks so much, guys. Hey, thanks a lot for joining us, Chris. Uh, um, I find it interesting that both of us as travel writers have a lot of experience planning and exploring. And uh, I honestly find some of the best experiences in travel are when I discover things simply by getting lost. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. Chris touched on it is to leave some days open. I mean, obviously, you have those must see things, you got to kind of have your arrival day dialed in, but definitely leave, you know, your third day or so open. Or one thing I really like to do is pick a spot a couple kilometers away that I want to see. And then just kind of figure out how I'm going to get there, like walk out the door, maybe even without a map, just trying to know what direction I got ahead and just find my way there slowly and you sort of discover things along the way so i think definitely leaving some open days and then of course being realistic about traveling time all three of us have mentioned it people i mean i appreciate they're they're traveling across the world it's a long flight they want to get lots of bang for their buck but but trying to go so many places you end up exhausted you haven't seen anything and you don't allow any time for that spontaneity like what if somebody you meet invites you into their house to have a cup of tea well gee i can't go because i booked my ticket for one o'clock somewhere like so be realistic about that time don't pack too much in and allow some spontaneity for sure. Yeah, I think that's kind of it, is finding the sweet spot between planning and allowing for some exploration. Uh, Maybe if you're going on a three-day trip, picking the three must-see things and and allotting one of those per day, but then trying to explore a little bit around that must-see site to see what else is in that neighborhood. Yeah, so this was uh, some great material. I think you and I have already come up with some ideas for probably a uh, version two show or an episode two of this along the way. But thank you so much for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. So from Kuala Lumpur, this is Scott Coates saying thank you. And from Bangkok, Thailand, this is Trevor. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at Angkor Thom and Emperor?